uh, carry on uh, in our series, Upside Down Kingdom, where we've been looking at uh, the parables that Jesus told and, uh, the, you know, these stories that he told to kind of illustrate, um, you know, spiritual truths. And this one today is a doozy. It is, it is a doozy. You know, we're, as people, we are, a lot of us are anyway, I'll raise my hand high and say that I, I have a tendency towards this that I fight against all the time. Uh, we tend to be um, bare minimum type people. Like, what's the bare minimum I have to do to get credit for that? What's the bare minimum I have to do to skate into heaven? What's the bare minimum I have to do to stay on God's good side or my wife's good side or whatever? I mean, we just kind of be bare minimum type people. Some of us are, are above and beyond, go the extra mile type people, but a lot of us, it's kind of the American way. We're, we're kind of like, well, you know, what's, what's the bare minimum? And and, and this plays out in our faith all too often. I think a lot of times we approach faith with that mentality. And, and here, here's where it comes from, too. It comes from this idea of faith is all about going to heaven. And if, you're, if, you're, if the way you think about faith is going to heaven, then you're going to have a bare minimum mentality about your faith. What do I have to do to get to heaven? And... That is not what our faith is about at all. That if you read scripture, if you really dig in and start looking at what it's all about, especially in the stories that Jesus told, especially in just the life that Jesus prescribed for us himself, it is about the lives that we live right now. It's about following Christ right now. It's about being people of faith in the here and now, helping to usher in God's kingdom in meaningful ways here and now. And then one day, heaven comes to us. It's not about us going to heaven. It's heaven coming to us and God setting his kingdom up in full uh, reign and authority and everything here on earth. It, it's that, that's what it's all about. So get that, what do I got to do to get to heaven and, and this, and again, it plays out in so many different ways in our life. Every one of my kids, uh, so far, at one point or another in their life, they've all had the chore of um, <coughs> cleaning up the kitchen after dinner. Um, and so, and I had the same thing when I was a kid. Many of you probably had the same thing when you were a kid. You know, had to go in, do the dishes, get the kitchen all cleaned up, whatever. And every one of them have kind of gone through that process with the same weeping and gnashing of teeth that. <laughs> It looks exactly the same where we'll say, go, you know, go clean up the kitchen. Okay, they're going to go ahead and clean up the kitchen. They kind of slump in there, and, they, and, and they'll unload the dishwasher. Are you done? Yeah, I'm done. And then you walk later on in the kitchen, and the kitchen is still an entire mess. All they did was unload the dishwasher. They didn't do anything with the dishes that are scattered around or the mess that's all around. Hey, come back down here. You got you to do all the dishes. Oh, okay, okay. So they start, they, they start cleaning the dishes. And, and, you know, get those into the dishwasher. And then, are you done? Yeah, I'm done. Upstairs. And then you walk in there later, and there's still food on the countertop, and the stove is a mess, and just everything. Hey, come back down here. I asked you to clean the kitchen. You mean all of it? Yeah, all of it. All, all of it. Like, every single bit of it. Like, wipe down the surfaces. Get it presentable and clean and everything. And, they, and, and it's this process of weeks and months of getting them to understand that all means all, right? All means all. When I say clean the kitchen, I don't mean like scoot something from here to there. I mean, get that thing clean, get that thing clean. And so we, this teaching that we're going to deal with today is one of those all means all type teachings that we, trust me when I say this, when we read this parable today, 
you're going to want it to mean something different than what it means. You're going to want it to mean, your, your mind is going to, your mind and your heart, you're going to start wrestling with this scripture. You're going to start wrestling and trying to justify, well, you know, he probably doesn't mean that. What he probably means is this, and this is one of those no, all means all scriptures. And so get your head in the space right now to just embrace what Jesus says. And, and, and I'm telling you, you're going to start trying to wrestle with it and justify it. You're going, well, that's just one. That's just one. I got to think about it in terms of all, the light of the rest of scripture too. I got you. I, I've already thought ahead. Jesus teaches on this multiple times. We're going back to, I'm telling you, you're going to wrestle with it. So just get ready to submit. You ready? You're, all right, here we go. Here we go. Uh, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. <coughs> so it starts off with this. Man, I got some weird light sensitivity going on this morning. That little lamp in the corner was bugging me. And then when the house lights came on, I'm like, that feels so good. I'm just going to do this right here. Okay. All right. It's probably a stroke or something. <laughs> that was not funny. All right. All right, so uh, verse 21, Matthew chapter 18, says this. Um, then Peter came up to him. First of all, Jesus has just, he's just kind of come off this teaching of what to do if your brother sins against you. And it's the passage that we usually go to when we talk about dealing with conflict in, in a Christian way. You know, you go, go to that person one-on-one, -on -one, have it, you know, talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. Hey, guys, good to see you. <laughs> Go to them one on one, and if, if that doesn't work, if they're still, you know, if they're still not repentant, then you take a brother with you and 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 uh, and talk to him again. And if that doesn't work, you know, then you bring it to before the whole church. That's the that's the whole thing that he's he's talking about. Now, on the on the tail end of that conversation, Peter asked this question. It says Peter came up and said to him, "Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times." So. This is Peter trying to be slick because the uh, Jewish law said you were required to forgive somebody three times. And so Peter, he's trying, he's trying to get on Jesus' good side. He's like, hey, how many times should I forget? Like seven times? Like two times what's normal and then add an extra maybe? Is that, is that good? Is that good? Are you proud of me, Jesus? And Jesus' response is, Jesus said to him, verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, some of your translations might say 70 times seven, either, either one. The point is that when it comes to forgiveness in the mindset of Jesus Christ, uh, Christ-like forgiveness doesn't count. Doesn't count. If you're counting how many times you're forgiving somebody, then you're really not forgiving. You're just delaying revenge. That's all you're doing. You're just delaying revenge. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Stop, stop with the counting. Stop with the counting. And then he tells a story. Now this story, this is the one. Here you go. Ready? All right. And Pharisees came up to, oh, no, no, no. I, I changed chapters. Hold on. Where am I? Oh, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, in today's money, 
that would be millions and millions and millions of dollars. It is, it, 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 the idea that Jesus is trying to put out there is it was an amount that you could not dream of paying off in your entire lifetime. It was a huge, huge amount of money. So um, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made which was pretty common. I mean, a lot of slavery back in this day had to do with debt. If you couldn't pay a debt, you would pay it off through, you know, uh, you know being a slave to a person for a designated amount of time or whatever. Verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Wiped it out. Debt gone. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. We're talking about like one paycheck, right? A hundred denarii. Um, and seizing him, he began to choke him. So, <laughs> so I, I don't know if you've ever been somebody, somebody you, you choked him out, but that's pretty ridiculous. Like he grabbed hold of him and started choking him. That's all I got to say about that. Uh, um, but he says... Um, <laughs> I lost my place again. Uh, seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll pay you. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. <clears throat> so again, the picture, this guy has been forgiven of an unsurmountable debt. He goes to a coworker, a fellow servant, and says, hey, you owe me a few bucks. Pay me back. The guy can't pay him, so he has him put in prison. All right, that's, that's just jacked up. So he says, um, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And then Jesus says this, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is one of the scariest stories in all of Scripture. I mean, it is straight up one of the scariest stories in all of Scripture. Because what Jesus paints a picture of here is a servant who had been forgiven. And because he would not then go out and forgive someone else, the master took his forgiveness back. And Jesus says, just to clear up any of your like, what does that mean? Jesus says, this is what God will do to you. If you can't forgive. Is anybody else scared by that? A little bit? Yeah, you should be. That's, that's some scary stuff. That's some scary stuff. And for some of you, depending on your theological leanings, you might go, well, you know, I, you know my sins are forgiven once and for all. You know, they're, they can't be taken back. I, I've got theological statements that say that's, that, that can't happen. I'm just going off what Jesus said. I tend to side with Jesus. 
And this is, what, this is what he said. And if there's any confusion, I want you to think back to how we end our um, prayer, or how we end our, our, our sermon time every single week with the Lord's Prayer. And there's this line in the Lord's Prayer. Go ahead and put that up there. It says, in the Lord's Prayer, it says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us, God, as we are forgiving others. And that's kind of confusing. That's kind of, that's kind of weird. Like, it's weird that Jesus told, chose those words because those aren't the words I would have chose if I was him. I would have, you know, forgive us because you're so great and forgiving or something like that. But no, he says, forgive us as we're forgiving others. And I think he knows this strikes people in a weird way because as soon as he finishes praying that prayer, he offers commentary on one statement, and it's that statement. And he says this, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Like forgiveness, are you getting the thing here? Forgiveness is a really big deal to Jesus. It is a really, really, really big deal to Jesus. And it, he puts a ton of pressure on us to be a forgiving people. Why? Because that story he told is, that, that's us. We are the people who have been forgiven a, a, a debt that we could not pay in a hundred lifetimes. And Jesus, when he establishes his kingdom, he establishes this kingdom that the that, that air we breathe in this new kingdom is forgiveness. It is love. It, it, it is not just a high ideal. It is who we are. We're a people of forgiveness. We're a people who have been forgiven much, so we have to be a people who will forgive much. It is, it's the air that we breathe. And so this is the big point I, wanna, I want, want you to remember today is that an unforgiving person has no place in Jesus' kingdom of forgiveness. An unforgiving person has no place in Jesus' kingdom of forgiveness. Now, this is what I hope. I hope some of you are racking your brains right now going, who in my life have I not forgiven? Some of you, it came to your mind immediately. It's a brother, a sister, a parent, a coworker, a child, Somebody in your life, they've done you wrong, they've stabbed you in the back, they were not understanding of you and in, in, in the hard time that you were going through, whatever the case may be, and you have written them off. Somebody that should be somebody meaningful to you in your life, you haven't spoken to them in years or months. And Jesus says, my father will do the same to you if you can't forgive and I hope that scares you, because I think he meant for it to. I think he meant for it to. I want to talk for just a second about, about forgiveness and what forgiveness is. There's, forgiveness has actually been in the news some. I don't know if you've noticed some of the stories, but especially with all the, the Me Too movement stuff that was going on, there was um, one of the uh, kind of storylines that I saw that kind of kept coming up in, in the news cycle was uh, how this was often playing out in churches uh, when, when people had been abused in church situation by, by, by men in power, how oftentimes the organizational church would 
immediately go to forgiveness. Well, we have to, we have to forgive and so there was no real justice for victims because we just we rush to forgiveness, right? And and forgiveness just means we kind of let it go. And I think that that is actually a really gross misunderstanding of what forgiveness is. Um, that forgiveness is not you forgetting that a sin ever took place. Forgiveness is you wiping the slate clean and going, you owe me nothing. It is a, it's a financial transaction. It's why Jesus tells the story he tells of, of debt and the paying back of debt and that sort of thing. That forgiveness is not you ignoring sin. Forgiveness is you looking at a sinner going, we're clear. You don't owe me anything. I'm going to move past this. I'm going to choose to try to be your brother. I'm going to choose to try to move forward in love. It's not the forgetting of sin. It's not even the positioning yourself to be necessarily wronged again always, although it might be, depending on how God leads you. But it is just you clearing the slate, going, we're we're clear. You don't owe me anything here. You don't owe me anything. Yeah, you hurt me. But this relationship that we have is more important than my pride is right now. And I don't want to make light of serious offenses. I, I get it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm no different than any of you. I've had people seriously offend me, even abuse me in my life. And I don't want to make light of that. But when you choose not to forgive someone, you are drinking the poison you hope to to give to them. Does that make sense? When you choose not to forgive someone, you're drinking your own poison. That, That stuff, that bitterness begins to take root in your life, and it begins to alter who you are as a person. And we need to be a people who will, again, you don't have to pretend as if a wrong never happened. And, and by the way, when a, especially a very serious wrong, like, like I was saying, has been in the news lately, when that sort of stuff happens, forgiveness doesn't mean that there are no consequences. Consequences must take place. Like, like you've heard me say before, if, if there's ever, God forbid, a situation of abuse that takes place in this church, will we forgive that person? Yes, but we might be forgiven them from across a jail cell. Because consequences are necessary. And so we forgive by just going, I want to move forward in love. And, and by the way, I think that's the way God's forgiveness works for us. When God forgives us, he, doesn't, he does not erase our sin. We still have to deal with the consequences of our sin in our life. I've, I've talked to so many people you know, who have, have made some horrible mistake, some big sin in their life, and, and one that had, you know, kind of echoed throughout the rest of their life, you know? And, and they'll say something to the effect of, man, I've, I've got my life right with God. It's like, why won't God forgive me? It's like, no, God has forgiven you, but you made a dumb mistake, and, and that has consequences throughout the rest of your life. There are some mistakes that just cannot be erased. You don't have to be defined by that mistake. You don't have to be defined by that sin. You don't have to, you know, 
live in bondage to it, but you may very well, there may be some mistakes that we make in our life that we will carry with us the consequences for the rest of our lives. Some of them are, are, are that kind of nature. And so we need to be a people who will forgive others because, because we've been forgiven much. Now, this, this is what I want. I'm, not, I'm actually not going to drag this out too awful long. But what I, what I really hope, this is, a, this is actually a sermon I've preached multiple times over the years from my youth pastor days to uh, just a long time. And it's one of my f- favorite sermons to preach because just about every time I preach it, I have at least one or two people that will come up to me about two weeks later and say something to the effect of, um, I wanted you to know that sermon stuck with me and I called my mom. I called my brother and we cleared the air and I chose to forgive them. I chose not to, I chose to let go of that bitterness. And that's the highest compliment for any pastor, any preacher. That's the highest compliment. It's not the attaboy, hey, good sermon, but I changed my life because of what was preached. The word of God entered into my ears and into my heart and caused me to make a change which is what the preached word is all about. And so this is what I want you guys to do. I want you to just take inventory on your life. And you, you probably won't have to take it for too awful long. There's probably some people maybe that immediately come to, come to your mind. But if there are some people in your life that you have not forgiven, whoever, family member, an ex, uh, whoever, somebody who, uh, a criminal, somebody who committed a crime against you. I want to challenge you to take that to God in prayer and ask him to give you the strength and the courage and the faith and the trust in him to actually extend forgiveness. Forgiveness is not about that person. It's not about you letting that person off the hook. It's about you letting yourself off the hook and releasing that bitterness. Just releasing it. And and here's here's the honest truth. That forgiveness may not even be appreciated. It may not be this glorious moment that you were hoping it would be. It might be taken for granted, but again, it's not about them, it's about you. Release it for your own sake. And if you can't do that, release it for Christ's sake. Release it for him. This is the deal, that for someone who cannot forgive another person and claims to to be a child of God, you have a gross misunderstanding of the gospel. It's a gross misunderstanding of the gospel. To the extent that I think... According to this scripture, Jesus would question whether or not the gospel has even penetrated you. That you you cannot be a person who has been forgiven so much and not... And here's the thing, what I love about that story is that the king forgives this great debt. 
right? And so the king establishes for his kingdom what the new normal is. And when people don't pick up on what that new normal is, he gets offended, he gets upset. I myself have led by example. I am establishing that we are a kingdom of forgiveness. I expect that my subjects would also be people of forgiveness. And Jesus is that king for us. He has established this kingdom of forgiveness, and he expects that all of those who call ourselves citizens of his kingdom will also be a people of forgiveness. And it's not easy. It's not. Sometimes bitterness becomes a friend. Sometimes it becomes a warm blanket. Some of you have been bitter about something for so long, it scares you to let it go. It scares you to let it go. You don't even know what kind of person you would be if you let go of that bitterness. And I want to challenge you to step out and trust God that he knows what's best and allow yourself to be a person of forgiveness. And maybe experience for the first time in your life the the freedom of being a citizen of his kingdom that's been kind of eluding you. Really experience that freedom. Some of you are in in chains to your bitterness. You're, You're just in bondage to it. I want to I I encourage you, like, let that go. Let that go. Life's too short. I, I've always, I don't know if I want to tell the story or not. Nah. <laughs> I'll edit it. I, I have to think about the podcast. I'll edit it out of the podcast later. Um, my, one of my most valuable relationships in my life is, is my relationship with my brothers. And um, um, they're like my best friends. I, I, I love it. I, it. It breaks my heart that we don't live closer to one another and we can't hang out more. Uh, we talk on the phone, you know, pretty regularly, but, but I, I miss them a lot. And, um, you know, a, f- a few years ago, I had a bit of a falling out with one of my brothers. That's never really happened before. We've always been kind of, you know, we've, not that we never argued, but we've always valued the relationship so much that we were like, whatever, I'll just let it go. You know, you just kind of try to let things roll off. Well, something happened that I found it really difficult to let roll off, and so I kind of dug in my heels, and, and um, I'm ashamed to say I went several months without speaking to my brother. And um, I, I finally reached a point where I, I just said, I need him in my life too much to hang on to this. And, um, and so, you know, we, we made that right. We made that right. But those conversations are hard. And Satan, you know, what's it? Uh, scripture talks about don't give Satan a foothold in your life. When, 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 we use, when, when he uses that term foothold, that's a, it's a rock climbing term. I was, I was in Yosemite this week watching little dots up on El Capitan, you know, make their way up. And, um, and that is just this sheer granite face. It's amazing to me how they, how they do that. And last year, that young guy, Alex Honnold, free climbed that thing. No ropes, no nothing, just free climb. This blows my mind, right? Like, I'm glad people are out there doing it. I have no interest in doing it. 
But the idea of don't give Satan a foot, when, you, when you're climbing something that looks unclimbable, like a smooth surface, all you really need to get yourself up is the slightest imperfection in the face of that rock. You can get your foot in just the slightest imperfection in the rock and actually lift yourself up. The, uh, the smallest crack, you can get a finger in there and wedge it in there and pull yourself up. It doesn't have to be a step. It can be just the smallest. That's the foothold that Scripture is. Don't give Satan a foothold, and we have to be so careful. You may not think it's a big deal. You may not think it's a big deal in your life. You may not think it's, it's anything that Satan could conquer you over or whatever. It's just a small thing. It's something you could blink away or whatever. But our enemy can use the smallest thing in our life to gain ground in your life and let bitterness take root. And, and before long, something that was a small, meaningless argument becomes something big and blown up and out of proportion to the point that now bitterness has taken over and distance has come between you and somebody that you care about, whether it's a family member or a church member or, or whoever. And if Satan can, and, and this is why you, I think most of you would agree with me that we're really blessed to be a part of a beautiful church. We're blessed to be a part of a beautiful church because we're a church that by and large is, we, we experience unity here. Unity is something that is so fragile, so fragile. You have to treat it with kid gloves. You have to treat it as something precious. And, 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 and the smallest imperfection can overcome that unity and cause division and cause something, you know, what was once a very beautiful church to turn into something you never thought it would become. What was once a very tight-knit family suddenly becomes splintered and you're not talking to your parents or your brothers or, your, or whoever else. It's, it, it, that stuff creeps in so uh, sneaky, sneakily. We have to be so careful. And it, it really involves us choosing forgiveness over our own pride. And that's difficult at times. I'm not going to pretend it's not. It's difficult at times. But it's so worth it. It's so worth it on the other side of that just to feel like something that was broken is whole again. It's meaningful. It's the kind of kingdom that Christ has called us to be a part of. I want to be a part of that kind of kingdom. I want to be of strong enough character that I don't, I'm not that person who is just hung up on every little thing. You guys know people like that in your life? They just get hung up on every, It's like... It's like they, they're living a Jerry Springer episode. Like, you don't know me. <laughs> Whatever. Like, I don't want to be that, and you don't want to be that either, and so let's just not. Let's be citizens of God's kingdom of forgiveness. Why? Because we have been forgiven much. The next time you're having trouble conjuring up what it takes to forgive somebody in your life, spend a little bit of time and remember how much you have been forgiven. And if you can still not forgive that person in light of that, then I'm not sure you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you've been forgiven a lot. We have, all of us. Amen? Amen. So let's pray this prayer.
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we love you. And we thank you so much that first and foremost that you have forgiven us so much. We could have never dreamed of paying the debt of sin that we created against you. So many times we have chosen our own way instead of your way. So many times we have chosen to rebel against you. So many times we have chosen to worship ourselves instead of worshiping you. And you are loving and you are gracious and you are compassionate and you are merciful and you forgive. And we don't deserve it at all. ask you to forgive us and we just thank you that you do and God I pray that you would give us the strength and the courage the selflessness to embrace you and your kingdom and forgive those who wrong us God I don't want anything coming between me and you So I pray that you would just um, help me to check my pride. Um, When I get sideways with somebody, that you would convict me quickly of that. That you would give me the, the strength to have those hard conversations, hash things out and forgive. God, for those of us in the room who have had great offenses against us, maybe even criminally great, really struggle with bitterness and we struggle to forgive. God, I pray that you would, again, help us to forgive in a way that doesn't pretend as if nothing ever happened, but just releases it to you. And we clear that account. Heal us where we're wounded. Go ahead of us in these conversations that you might be challenging us to have and begin to prepare the way for those. It's beautiful, God, when I go to someone and I need to clear the air and it's been on their mind too and we're able to just meet in the middle so quickly. So go ahead of us. I love you and I pray that you would just make us over into the kingdom citizens that you've called us to be. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. Amen. All right. Everybody get out of here. I got to go dry my eyes. See you later.